Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. Why do you meditate? Why do you want to meditate? What do you want to get? Well, there clearly is some motivation, some ambition. It might be, you know, we want to be calmer. We want to have a, we want to have a better relationship with stress. We want to be a better leader. We want to be a better human. There's always going to be some motivation. However, once you sit down and do mindfulness practice, meditation practice, let it go. The practice is give it up. And, and part of the training. The training of meditation practice is to be able to let go or at least loosen expecting anything, right? We're always, there's always this relentless sense of, right, as you were just describing, wanting something, wanting something to be different, never being satisfied. So meditation practice could be, could be described as training the mind and body to know what actual satisfaction looks like and feels like? What is it like to not need anything? What is it like for there not to be anything missing? I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Mark, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. It's good to be here. Yeah, it is my pleasure to have you here. So you have a new book out uh, called Finding Clarity, all of which we will get into. But uh, having read the book and having particularly read the very first line of the book, uh, I wanted to start by asking you, what social group were you a part of in high school and what impact did that end up having on the choices that you've made with your life and career? Yeah, I I would say my prime uh, social group in high school was my high school wrestling team, where... Mm -hmm. uh, I was, um, my senior year, I was captain of my high school wrestling team and so many lessons, I think lessons around, um, that was maybe if one of my early experiences of being part of a supportive community, you know, people, people who really had each other's backs and wanted the best from each other really was, um, even though it's interesting, even though wrestling is, um, a one-on-one, uh, when you're out there, the the matches against, you know, working 
uh, you know, uh, wrestling other high schools, it was a team sport. It was really the, um, you know, you really wanted your teammates uh, to, to win. Many lessons mm. about uh, uh, the power of letting go of wanting to win and the fear of losing. Uh, and what, one of the things that I noticed in, in high school wrestling was that the, the good wrestlers, the good wrestlers, they really wanted, they really wanted to win and they really didn't want to lose. But I, I was picking up something about the best wrestlers. They seem to have a different relationship with winning and losing. They seem to be just present in some way that was beyond fear and beyond grasping. And, and I was picking up that and I noticed that was that I, I had some work to do to get, to get there. Uh, and, and, and I think there's something, uh, that I've, that I really love these days about, um, athletes and watching sports and, and really wanting to enter that space of, uh, you know, beyond effort, effort and effortlessness, which, which I think is really important in creativity and business and all of, all of life. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's funny you mentioned wrestling of all things because like what that triggered for me was a memory of the conversation I had with Tim Ferriss, who had mentioned that his wrestling coach was one of the most influential people in his life, and he said that you know almost everybody who had been on his wrestling team went on to do uh, some incredibly extraordinary things. Um, the guy who founded uh, Donors Choose came from that same wrestling team. So, one, I wonder, like, what is it about wrestling in, in particular that draws certain people that are like that? And as somebody who was the captain of the team, like what kind of leadership lessons did you learn? Because I think that that, that was one thing for me in high school is I felt I had no athletic ability when I was in high school. So I didn't play any sports and it was something I regret because I feel like every person I've ever talked to who has played high school sports uh, mentions the just profoundly positive impact it ended up having later in their life. Yeah, it was, uh, it was really huge. Um, again, I think something about, uh, developing, developing my own sense of confidence in myself. It was like, there was a certain level. I mean, wrestling's amazing, right? <laughs> that there's a, there's a level of, um, of mastery and speed and strength and, and skill involved in, uh, the repetition. I remember, you know, ev uh, practicing over and over again, repeating certain moves um, and really getting, getting them, getting them down, getting them completely in my body, uh, so that it didn't have to, there was not, there, you know, there's not time to think about things. So something about, mm -hmm. you know, uh, being able to transcend our, our thinking mind and being fully in our body and mastery. And, um, yeah, you know, it's interesting. I feel, I feel a lot of that you know, one of the things I, I love doing is teaching and speaking. And I hadn't thought so much of this before, but so I'm, I'm appreciating this line of questioning. I feel like there were some early lessons that I learned in high school wrestling that, that I bring into you know, being up in front of the room, leading a mindfulness workshop or talking, you know, mm -hmm. doing a talk about leadership or um, you know, accomplishing more by, by doing less. And, and there was some way that, um, wrestling provided a strange, um, and I think profound base toward a lot of the things that I'm doing in my life right now. Yeah. 
Well, you know, I think the reason that I started with that question was that there was one thing in particular that caught my attention that you wrote about in the book where you said, I dreamed of becoming a professional bowler when I was 13. Yeah. I thought to myself, I don't think I know anybody who has ever dreamt of becoming a professional bowler. And I was thinking, I was like, what if there's a movie about professional bowling, like somebody trying to, Woody Harrelson, I'm sure you know what it is. I can't remember what it is. The Big Lebowski. Um, is it Big Lebowski? Okay. Well, I know the Big Lebowski. I didn't realize the Big Lebowski was about bowling. I remember there was an aspect of it that was. There may be, there may bowling. be another, maybe there, you might be thinking of another movie, but I, I was recently reading about the Big Lebowski and how, yeah, that uh, part of that movie takes place in a bowling alley. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's such a bizarre sort of yeah, yeah, dream to have. Like to me, I, I thought like most kids are like, oh, I want to be, you know, a professional basketball player or a professional you know, football player, professional bowler. Like, where did that come from? <laughs> well, I think it came from that my family, um, my, my father and my older brother, um, this was, you know, winters, winters, long winters on the East Coast in New Jersey. And somehow, um, they, they were in these bowling leagues and that was part of, that was part of my childhood. Uh, I think as soon as I could, as soon as I was able to stand up, I found myself, you know, with, with a bowling ball. And, and, and I think there was a, a, um, a part of me early on, I think that had this sense of mastery and competition. I hope healthy competition. Yeah, I, um, I think I was really young and I, I was, I was, um, in bowling leagues and was quite good. Uh, and, and I think I really wanted to master, you know, to master the sport. And I had some vision of, you know, of, oh, this could be, this could be what I do with my life is become a bowler. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Yeah. Well, I think to me, there's something to be said for the fact that you were good at it because I noticed that that was something about me. Like I was completely drawn to anything that I seemed to have the potential to be extraordinary at. I remember my band director basically told me in seventh grade, he's like, you can either go be an average athlete or an extraordinary musician. I was like, I don't want to be average at anything. And so I pretty much chose band and, you know, ended up accomplishing a lot more than I thought I could. Um, yeah. And I wonder, you know, what that is. Why is it that we're we're so driven to those types of things? But then the downside of that is that we don't, uh, you know, allow ourselves to compensate for our weaknesses, or we don't actually, you know, work on the things that we're not good at. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I notice, you know, I, uh, I, I think it's a a human tendency, right? To to we we like doing things that we're good at. Um, but I think what I hear you getting at too, it's, um, it's, it's really important, right? To be able to have, um, enough, enough self-confidence, um, to be able to step out and, and do things that, you know, to, cause there's something about learning new things. Like I'm so many things, you know, uh, I was just, um, I was just outside, you know, we, uh, putting, putting an electric lawnmower together and, Man, there's, I was so, uh, I love, you know, reading instructions about how to do things. And I'm like, man, why did it, you know, why do they make this so hard? But little by little, uh, there was something very satisfying about kind of finding, you know, learning new things, finding the keys, make, making, you know, putting things on backwards and then having to undo them. Uh, but I feel like it's, um, really good, really good for the brain and the body to, uh, to be, uh, you know, to, to allow yourself to be, do new things where you don't quite know what's happening and, and little, little breakthroughs, like even, even in putting this, um, this electric lawnmower together, there were a series of, oh, that's, that's where that goes. That's, that's, you know, and, 
and uh, something very, um, I think, useful and important about doing things that where we're where we are awkward, where we don't know what we're doing. Yeah. So, how in the world do you go from you know captain of wrestling team to dreaming of becoming a professional bowler to teaching about mindfulness? Because that you know, like most of the people on your doesn't seem like a particularly linear path. Oh man, it's so it you know really. <laughs> Well, I think um, I I think that in some way, um, well, a few things. I think somewhere in there, uh, I read the book toward a psychology of being by Abraham Maslow when I was a freshman in college, and uh, and and there the sport was being a full human being. He was describing a study that he had done about how there seemed to be a small slice of people who were particularly uh, um, self-aware, who were um, um, had an emotional freedom, um, uh, uh, in, in ter- both in terms of their joy, but also their sadness and grief. And and when I read about Maslow's study, I. I was aware, I became really aware of how much work I had to do and my own lack of emotional freedom. And that seemed to be an area that I really wanted to enter more, this sense of, I mean, I feel like I, I, I realized that my, my relationships, my way of being in the world were pretty, pretty narrow that I think I, um, I had just gravitated, I think, to, Things that I, I kind of like what you're saying, I gravitated toward what was safe and easy, what came safe and easy to me, but relationships and emotions, those did not come easy to me. And, and, um, and that led me to a, um, a meditation practice. I, I walked, I, I walked into the San Francisco Zen Center one day and there was something that just really struck me about this practice of meditation. And, and in some way, it was the practice of how to be a more full and thriving um, uh, human being. And, um, mm-hmm. and it was, you know, uh, one of the things that surprised me in my, you know, I ended up, you know, my, my one year leave of absence uh, from Rutgers University turned into 10 years of living at the San Francisco Zen Center. And one of the really surprising things was that I kept being asked to take on leadership roles, which was very puzzling because I, that was not at all how I saw myself. Uh, but I, I was surprised when I got asked, you know, to run a kitchen, when I got asked to then be the director of this, uh, Zen monastery in the mountains in central California. And, uh, I was surprised how much I got from and was learning and enjoyed leading and, and managing people. So that, that was the, the, the through line there was, uh, Maslow to, uh, to the Zen center meditation and leadership and, and getting a call one day. Um, Hey, how would you like to figure out and develop a program for Google engineers that would combine, uh, mindfulness, emotional intelligence and leadership. And, um, and that really, uh, I, I was surprised again how much it allowed me to bring all these different parts of my life together. 
and that I completely loved teaching and teaching mindfulness and leadership. <clears throat> you alluded to something I think that I, I guess you know that I've spent a lot of time thinking about maybe because I turned 45 this year, or especially the last year or two, I'm just finding like in my notes, the amount of times the phrase self-awareness shows up in all of my various notes that I've taken in my note-taking app. And I realized like we're not taught to cultivate self-awareness. Like it's just one of those things. Like I remember one of my mentors said, he's like, most people don't know they're the asshole in the room when they are. Uh, <laughs> and like, why do you think that is like, why do we not cultivate self-awareness? And, and like, because the, I, I had this experience once at, with this person who, you know, just was really awful to me and, and, you know, ended up even writing a book in which, you know, she actually dedicated an entire chapter to how much she hated me um, based on a reality show. And I remember reading the memoir and I was like, you know what? This to me is just basically a 200 page diatribe about your complete lack of self-awareness. <laughs> um, and I just, it surprises me that, you know, that is something that people don't think about. And I also know we're not taught to think about it at all. Like nobody in college teaches you, Hey, you know, you need to take a self-awareness class. Yeah. Interesting. You know, I think, um, I think that was a big aha for me was realizing that every class I took in college turned into a self-awareness class, um, especially, yeah. especially reading you know, it's amazing uh, what we can learn by reading fiction. Uh, one of the classes that became uh, one of my all-time favorite classes that I took uh, ever was um, French, German, and Italian literature, you know, in translation. And being introduced, mm -hmm. you know, being introduced even just to, you know, Sartre and Camus, who, again, these are like the masters of self-awareness, you know, of, of looking you know, of, um, or even, um, uh, the German, uh, German writer Kafka. Uh, and I, I, I thought these, these are all, these people are teaching, stepping back and looking at why do we think the way we do? Why do we, why do we do, why do we and others do what we do? Um, very different than I think how I and most of us grew up and you just, right. As you're saying, Nobody ever, nobody ever asked those things. Nobody ever talked about the, the, the why, the why, why are we doing what we do? How do we, how, how do we make choices based on what, or even, even things like, what am I feeling? You know, I can, I can remember, uh, one of the first, uh, trainings I did, uh, for a group of Google engineers, we did an exercise where, you know, you would, um, have a conversation with someone and then reflect about how you were feeling and and also what did you notice about what the other person that you were talking to was feeling and this was like this amazing uh you know unbe unbelievable thing to, especially to men i think you know i think women in general tend to gravitate more towards their own emotional lives and feelings and and men especially in the in our culture in united states culture um, not, not so much. I think all those, all those things, um, you know, and, and, and I think now there's more and more recognition of how important, I mean, you know, self-awareness is toward leadership, uh, toward being a, um, a competent and effective collaborator and team member. It all starts with, uh, what I think of as a practice, the practice of self-awareness. 
Well, I mean, speaking of leadership, I know that one of the things you said early on in the book was that when my board became aware of my ambivalence, they asked me to leave, which made my exit from brush dance bumpy and stressful. No one likes being fired from the company they <laughs> began. Um, and so I wondered, like, what lessons in self-awareness did you take away from that experience? Yeah, yeah, ouch. Um, I think that, uh, you know, there are many, many uh, kinds of emotional intelligence. And one, one is a kind of, in, in companies is what I think of as, and I think Daniel Goleman even used this language in the original uh, book, um, Emotional Intelligence, political awareness, right? Knowing, no, being aware of what the streams of power are and how decisions are made. And I think um, when I look back at that incident of me, me sharing with my board that my heart wasn't really there anymore um, that was probably not very skillful. Um, um, it was true, but I think I probably needed to better under, I, I think better understand what, you know, seeing, uh, seeing the company and my role through their, through their perspective. Uh, so this is one of the things that I now uh, feel like I've gotten a lot better at and that it's something that comes up a lot in my, coaching practice, working with executives is right. Understanding the political awareness, understanding decision-making and power. So uh, yeah, ongoing, ongoing lessons in, in that realm. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that makes a perfect segue to talking about the book itself. So what made you want to write this book at, at this time? Like what was the impetus for writing this book? Yeah. Uh, this book grew out of some, uh, some work that I was doing I was doing a little bit of work uh, with another consulting company in which they used the phrase uh, compassionate accountability. And mm -hmm. I really was drawn to, um, to better understand and look at how to incorporate um, that, that practice of uh, accountability with more uh, trust and connection and compassion and then I started working with a, um, a socially responsible bank, um, in which I mentioned that term, compassionate accountability, and they, they just lit up and their CEO and their management team said, that describes so well the kind of culture that we want to create, um, in our organization. And, and I began developing trainings and programs around, um, uh, compassion and accountability, and the book the book grew out of my uh, my developing and teaching those uh, those training programs and and I have to say I really I, I learned a lot uh, through not only through uh, teaching those programs but through developing and writing writing this book and turning it like looking at how to how how to go about actually teaching and training in accountability and accountability with with compassion. Well, you know, what, what's interesting to me is that you open the book by talking specifically about clarity and you say to me, clarity begins with acknowledging and embodying that the world is not always what it seems. Clarity means seeing the world from both perspectives, the ordinary and everyday, where the tree is just a tree and the mysterious, which means acknowledging the unknown sources of reality. Living with this awareness creates something of a paradox. In ordinary reality, we face many dualities of life and death, you and me accepting what is and seeking change, being confident yet humble. And these dualities are important for living our ordinary lives. So talk to me about this whole idea of clarity, because I feel like you know, people, I feel often, you know, feel that they're stuck because they lack clarity 
um, or that they can't do something because they lack clarity. I, the idea that, you know, I don't have clarity is something I've seen over and over and over again. And, you know, I mean, even Stephen Kotler talks about, you know, clear goals as the sort of ultimate flow trigger. Yeah, I think I was, in writing this book, I wanted to, I think, present um, a wider view of maybe a more, um, both what I think of as the, maybe a, a traditional business view or work view of clarity, right? Where, where clarity of purpose, clarity of goals, all that, all those things, those are important, right? To have a clear, a clear vision. I, I wanted to emphasize that. But in stepping back, I wanted to present something wider. Uh, and, and as you were just, um, I have to say, as you were reading from my book, I thought, oh, that's pretty good. You know, that, 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 <laughs> what, that clarity also means entering the world of the sacred, entering the world of mystery, uh, allowing ourselves to, to not be quite so sure of, of things. And this, and this gave me, I think, the entrance point for how to talk about the practice of clarity or the practice of um, accountability, that in practice, it means identifying where we're not clear, identifying what we don't know, identifying, you know, what is what and feel, feeling, allowing ourselves to stay with, you know, and, and I, there's a, uh, one of my favorite chapters to write in that book was a chapter I called Mind the Gaps. Right. And, and mm -hmm. seeing the gaps between what is and where we want to be. And this is, you know, this is the life of being in business, right? We're always, we're always uh, envisioning and projecting um, programs or products or services or teams or revenue. And there's a gap. There's gaps between where we are and where we want to be. And, and so there's some clarity involved in actually identifying those gaps or even identifying the gaps in terms of the kinds of things that we want to grow and develop in ourselves. Like, you know, I uh, want to be better with conflict. I want more courage. I want to be a better presenter or speaker. Again, the uh, with as much clarity as we can muster, uh, not sugarcoating and seeing, seeing what is and having a clear sense of where we want to go, where we want to be, what we want to develop again, both internally and, and externally. This is some of the, mm. the flavor that really um, excites me about this practice of, um, of finding clarity. And again, you know, so many of these things, there's so much overlap, I think, between, you know, self-awareness, finding clarity, you know, emotional intelligence and leadership. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Well, let's talk about this idea of of compassionate accountability, because you open the section on accountability by saying accountability is about more than simply living up to our obligations and responsibilities. It means devoting ourselves to seeing clearly and aligning around facts. It means practicing skillful truth-telling. Rather than turning away from conflict or practicing avoidance, it means working with conflict and destructive emotions to resolve them. Accountability means dedicating ourselves to connecting and aligning with one another for the benefit of all and working toward a shared vision of possibility, transformation, and success. And, you know, just as I was reading that out loud and thinking about this section, the first thing that came to my mind when I was thinking about that is people that I should have fired and kept on board for way too long at my company. Um, so talk to me about this whole idea of accountability in the context of business and leadership. Yeah. You know, I think, um, accountability is one of those terms, one of those words that gets used a lot in business. Um, as I, 
you know, as I talk about, um, we generally don't like it. You know, it usually, it feels, it can feel a bit tight, a bit oppressive. If we were to do an, an association, um, you know, uh, game, the word that would come up after accountability would be lack of, um, or people often go right to thinking about those, you know, those dreaded, uh, awkward performance reviews. But I, I think I've gotten to fall in love with accountability and to see that um, a, a word that I found myself substituting a lot in thinking about it as a practice is the word alignment, right? Alignment somehow is much more, uh, much more likable, much more, uh, yeah, attractive word than accountability. But I think there's an awful lot of overlap between the two. Well, you know, we think about holding ourselves accountable. Well, to me, what that means is noticing our own inner alignment in what way is, are my values and purpose and meaning aligned with how I am showing up in the world, in, in my work, in my relationships. And then in, in working with others or in living with others, it's align, right? Aligning around what does success look like, right? In the workplace, this is this ongoing, ongoing coming back to, we all want to be successful, but what does it look like? And, and to name it and to align around both the, uh, the what, right? The, maybe the, the financial goals, the, the, the things that we can measure, but also the, you know, the emotional intelligence and cultural goals and aspirations. How, how do we want to work together? How is it going? What does that look like? So all of this to me is this, uh, this realm of um, accountability and, and alignment, um, very, just super rich, important territory. Well, <clears throat> there's one line in particular that really caught my attention, you know, when it comes to this, you said a strange and rather pervasive human behavior patterns that we tend to judge others by the impact their actions have on us. We judge ourselves by our intentions. Uh, and it, it, like, I was thinking about that. I was like, wow. Okay. So like, talk to me about that phrase in the context of accountability. Yeah, that is, you know, I, I think everyone should have that, that phrase, uh, sewn into their clothing, right? That we, that we, <laughs> I mean, this is one of those, um, you know, I think it's a way that we humans have evolved that whenever, whatever someone else does or says, or even a look that with that the impact might be, you know, an ouch or a fear or an anger that, that we unconsciously go right to blame, right? We go right to blame because it's such, it's such an evolutionary part of, uh, self-protection, right? We need, we need to protect ourselves. We need to be okay. We need to be safe. So it's so interesting. Anytime we feel threatened, Right. Anytime we feel the impact of what someone else is doing or saying, um, we, we almost, um, unconscious, unconsciously think that we know what their in intentions or motivations are. We, of course, we're all, we're, we're all good people. Right. So that line is right. We judge, we judge others by the impact their words or actions have on us. Um, and yet, we, we ourselves, we, we're all good people. We always have, we, we've almost always have, you know, the best of intentions. 
if we could just, you know, if we could just uh, walk that talk in, in all parts of our lives, man, it would, it would, um, but it's hard. It's hard because, you yes. know, this is, um, you know, as I say in the book, um, we are, we, we humans are descendants of the nervous apes, right? The, our, our ancestors who were chill and cool, uh, they all got killed. The ones that survived were the ones that were really good at scanning for threats. So we, we humans, we are really good at, at just, um, almost automatically, unconsciously looking for anything that can threaten us. And I think this is both, um, external in, in, right, in, in our environments. And it's also internal, right? That, that inner critic, that inner voice that's, that, uh, often seems to be relentlessly looking for, am I okay? Do I look okay? Do I sound okay? You know, so um, this, this is, I think, a huge part of uh, developing self-awareness. And, and it's also um, an enormous ability and practice in order to be skillful at accountability and accountability with compassion, right? This is the, this is the ground in which we, the work that we need to do is noticing, how do we do? What, what, what's our tendency when we feel conflict, when we feel threatened? Can we somehow be curious about our own emotions? Can we be curious about what's actually happening? Uh, be curious about other people's intentions and motivations instead of going to you know, fight, flight, or freeze, which is the, the, um, the, the more, uh, way that's, uh, the, how we've evolved, we've evolved for fight, flight, or freeze. Yeah. <clears throat> One of the things that you say, you know, in, in reference to what you said earlier about sort of the gaps is you said that dissatisfaction is our default mode, no matter what we bring our attention to our clothes, entertainment, our job, our spouse, we always want more and better. Again, from an evolutionary perspective, this is great, but it's not so good for our well-being or our relationships. And this is something I've asked so many people, and I've yet to find an answer that I think really, you know, answers it because I'm, I'm convinced at this point there is no answer, which is how do you find this sort of balance between fulfillment and ambition? Yeah, I think, well, I'm hoping I'm going to give you the answer that you've been looking for. Um, you know, <laughs> it, it, it reminds me a little bit of like, um, to, an example would be, you know, when I'm, when I'm teaching people the practice, say, of um, meditation, right? Well, why do you meditate? Why do you want to meditate? What do you want to get? Well, there clearly is some motivation, some ambition. It might be, you know, we want to be calmer. We want to have a, we want to have a better relationship with stress. We want to be a better leader. We want to be a better human. There's always going to be some motivation. However, once you sit down and do mindfulness practice, meditation practice, let it go. The practice is give it up. And, and part of the training, the training of meditation practice is to be able to let go or at least loosen expecting anything right? We're always, there's always this relentless sense of, right, as you were just describing, wa wanting something, wanting something to be different, never being satisfied. So meditation practice could be 
could be described as training the mind and body to know what actual satisfaction looks like and feels like. What is it like to not need anything? What is it like for there not to be anything missing? Right. So, um, you know, and, and I think there's something so useful, simple, profound about this practice, right? Because so many, so many people in the, in the business world, so many leaders unconsciously or, or, or sometimes consciously feel that they have to beat themselves up. You have to be hard on yourself in order to get anything done. And the, right, if I, if I weren't being hard on myself, man, I wouldn't do anything. But it turns out, there, and there's even some really interesting research about this, that if we're actually more accepting, if we're actually more kind to ourselves, we are smarter. We're more creative. We can get not only, we can get more done than when we're, than when we're hard on ourselves. So this is that, that interesting territory of ambition and, and vision and aiming for things, but doing it differently, doing it like from a place where there isn't anything missing, from a place of even self-love and self and self-compassion. And, um, and I think that there is a, uh, a really, it's a different, it's a different way of being in, in the world. And it certainly is something that, uh, is greatly supportive of our own well-being and our own state of mind is this kind of radical sense of acceptance. And, and it doesn't mean at all that we're letting go of ambition, right? So it's a, if, I, know it, I know it sounds paradoxical and I'm curious what you think of this, but it's this, this paradoxical blend of great ambition and great acceptance. So it's like accepting what is and working toward whatever kind of changes we're looking to make. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's funny. I think that <clears throat> in a lot of ways, uh, one of my, my favorite quotes came from the musician uh, A.R. Rahman. I remember watching this documentary that he did. And in India, he's like one of the most famous people. He pretty much does all the compositions for the uh, Bollywood movies. And, you know, he's had like this really just iconic career. And the thing that struck me most about that entire documentary, this coming from like this wildly successful guy is when he said, when you expect nothing, everything comes to you. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that really, you know, sort of stayed with me and as, as something that, you know, I, one of those things I should probably get tattooed on my arms. <laughs> uh, yeah, I love that. I love that. There is... Right there. Yeah. Uh, just even trying it on, right? What does it feel like? What does it feel like to expect nothing? Hmm. Well, so this is going to be a, a kind of funny order to do this. And, uh, you know, we talk about this idea of, of bridging gaps. And I know you talk about gaps later in the book. So one thing I was wondering is like, how do we use the concepts you talk about? Because in the interest of time, I think it would take, take us too long to go through all of these. But, um, you know, this idea of shifting, reframing and acceptance, our stories, uh, you know, the ladder of inference, our commitment to create this vision that allows us to bridge this gap between where we are and where we want to be. Because, you know, I think, you know, to your point earlier, I even have a blog post titled The Eternal Gap Between, you know, who you are and who you want to be. Yeah, well, you know, what's fascinating about it is it right in light of what we were just saying is that 
how how can you and and again i think this is this i think is why um i think meditation practice is so valuable because it's a way without without that kind of like it's it's a way of stepping out of the stream of activity the the re, the relentless stream of activity in our lives and training training ourselves to you know with every breath to accept what is accept what is let go of let go of expectations so that we can bring a bit of that mindset into closing gaps right so it's again it's a bit paradoxical but it's it's being really adept at both this kind of radical accepting what is and being really good at staying with working for change you know solving problems uh letting you know letting letting things um letting things unfold and learning and growing and developing through this really interesting mix the soup of uh acceptance and uh ambition well, <clears throat> we'll talk about this idea of visions because you said that visions are powerful. They name the place we want to reach and the reason for what we're doing. A vision is a roadmap that defines success and how we imagine getting there. Cultivating a clear, credible, and inspiring vision requires a unique blend of passion, artistry, and imagination. It requires curiosity and is supported by deep listening. A vision can help cut through the frustration of gaps and transform those gaps into stories of possibility, clarity, and success. And, you know, immediately the first place my mind went was these people who just make vision boards and sit at them, staring at them without doing anything, thinking that, you know, I'm going to stare, you know, at these pictures of expensive cars and suddenly my life is going to change. Uh, so talk to me about how you bridge this gap between visions and actions, because I feel like there are people that have these like grand visions. I, I have friends like this that have these just like, you know, ridiculously bold visions, but, you know, it doesn't translate into action for so many of them. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, um, uh, terrible, you know, I you know, maybe I know, interesting example that you used, um, you know, about envisioning, you know, ha having, having a grandiose visions or envisioning is what you're describing sounds to me a little bit more like magical thinking than, than vision. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like that's really pervasive in the self-improvement world. Right. Right. So, Vision, vision to me is a vision kind of rooted in, in what's, what's actually possible, right? Now, again, you can have a, you know, you can have a really, um, kind of wide, um, wide sense of what's possible. And it's amazing, right? You know, I think about, um, look, look at, look at the things that we've created. Look at the, the magic of, um, of, of technology and, and what people, what a lot of people can do when they come together. So there is something, there is something about having a, a large vision, but it's, I think it's a, um, actionable vision, uh, knowing, mm -hmm. knowing what the next step is, right? So it's great. It's great to have a large vision, uh, but we need to know, okay, what's next, what's next, or, uh, what's the problem we're trying to solve here? Uh, what, what people do I need to bring in to help me, to help me solve this problem? I mean, so many of the, um, of the visions that, that I have, even, you know, like I, I love writing, right? I love, I, there's something that I really enjoy and found and find really satisfying about envisioning a book. Um, and, and the, then there's the whole process for me 
of uh, assembling a team of people to help me from, you know, editor, publisher, designer, um, and, and then step by step, you know, learn, learning from and, and having the vision also be quite flexible. I was, I was saying to someone that um, I've now written five books and not one of them did the original vision of what the title was going to be hold. It, cha- it changed and usually changed <laughs> many, many times throughout the process. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you, you brought up an important point. You talked about this idea of what's possible. And I, I had a mentor who was always just harping on this idea of this distinction between what's possible and what's probable. Uh, and my favorite example that he gave, you know, was when he and I were talking here on the podcast, he was like, you know, is it possible that you and I could win an Olympic gold medal? Yeah. He's like, is it probable? No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I find I'm, um, I, I think the ability to apply those kinds of, uh, the odds, right. What are the, what are the odds of making this, making this happen? You know, and, and it's interesting to me though, it's, um, you know, when I talk about these, uh, what, what I think of as these three uh, leadership practices that I kind of got from reading about Winston Churchill and how he led uh, during um, during some of the most difficult, uh, challenging parts of World War II in London. And, you know, he says, you know, no sugarcoating, um, cautious optimism, and bringing, bringing in a sense of uh, meaning and purpose. And to me, this is a, a really great prescription for how to vision, right? Right. To, to really be, bring in as much uh, reality and clarity as you can. And I think that might involve like what you're saying, you know, how, how likely is this going to happen? But then it goes right to cautious optimism, right? To That it's important. Mm-hmm. It's important when it comes to creating things, building things, solving problems that we uh, that there is a sense of cautious optimism rooted rooted in no sugar coating, and then to step back and and be able to um, have that sense of meaning and purpose in in whatever we're doing. So, you know, Ray Dalio had a, a, a way of putting this in his book. He just he used the phrase "stay grounded in reality," and you know, the thing I, I wonder is, you know, when it comes to these sort of just grand visions, why do you think people are so resistant to reality? Because <laughs> reality always wins, you know? Uh, yeah. yeah, that, um, again, I think this is, uh, you know, we, we, we humans, um, we, we have uh, great imaginations. And also I think it comes back to a sense of um, avoiding there's a tendency to avoid conflict or to avoid what's uncomfortable, to avoid what's painful. So much, so much of reality has to do with uh, disappointment and pain and being and being let down. And and I think uh, so much of this practice around uh, finding clarity is to not avoid to not avoid things that are difficult and painful, uh, but to learn again and again to to engage with them and transform them to transform pain and challenges and difficulty into possibility um you know usually we want to skip over we want to skip over the painful parts and get right to the good stuff or the 
And, and I think that's kind of part of this process that I, I think you're getting at about avoiding, avoiding reality because reality can be, can be hard. Yeah. What are the, the, the sort of tangible outcomes that you have seen in, you know, individuals' lives as well as, you know, organizational outcomes as a byproduct of this work? Yeah, I think, um, I'm, I'm amazed at how, uh, vital and useful and effective this work, the, the work of, uh, self, whether you call it, uh, self-awareness or mindfulness or emotional intelligence or, uh, compassionate accountability. It's the, you know, it's the inner work and the outer work, the inner, the, but it's, it's, I think it starts with the inner work, but, but as, you know, kind of as I was describing earlier in this conversation, I think once you go down the road of making a, um, a life commitment to, to clarity, to your own, uh, self-awareness, everything, everything becomes a course. Everything becomes a learning opportunity, uh, to learn more about ourselves. Um, all every, I mean, I, that's one of the things I love about being a, um, you know, uh, an executive coach and a mindfulness teacher. I, I feel like everything I'm reading or watching or listening to is, you know, of course, sometimes it's just about enjoyment, but, but it's always, there's always some edge of what am I learning from this about myself? What can I bring? What can I bring from this into my relationships, into my writing, into my working with leaders? So <clears throat> with both age and as the, as the result of this work, how's your own personal definition of what it means to be successful evolved over time? Yeah, great question. Um, you know, as I've, um, you know, I, I think a lot of success is really about um, a, a kind of deep sense of satisfaction with um, and, and, and seeing the richness and wonder, being able to see through the lens of wonder. To me, that's, um, I think, really the, um, the, the ultimate success. It's less, less about uh, financial success, less about, you know, Again, those things, those things are, uh, can be important. Um, but ultimately, I think it's, uh, uh, developing oneself into being a, um, a, a warm hearted, satisfied human, human being. You know, while, while we, while we strive and struggle, while we, you know, uh, while we continue to, uh, grow our personal lives, our family lives and our, and our work lives. But, but to bring, bring that sense of wonder and, and warm heartedness to, um, to whatever we do. Wow. Well, this has been amazing. Uh, you know, it's funny cause I, I feel like conversations like this are ones that always leave me with more questions than answers, but I think that that's a good thing, uh, because those are the conversations that force you to really reflect. Uh, so I have one final question for you, which is how we finish all of our interviews at the unmistakable career. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Genuineness, uh, genuine, um, this combination of transforming pains and challenges into, uh, into wonder and possibility. Beautiful. 
Well, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share your story, your wisdom, and your insights with our listeners. Where can people find out more about you, your work, the book, and uh, everything else that you're up to? Yeah, my new book is Finding Clarity, available everywhere books are sold. And my website is marklesser.net, M-A-R-C-L-E-S-S-E-R.net. And uh, lots of writing and guided meditations and try and make it... um, a, uh, a useful, useful visiting place. And thank you. I really appreciate uh, this conversation a lot. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. 
and download your free copy.